The Switch is on Battleline podcast had an excellent discussion with the great Joshua Travis this episode, guitarist from Amur, formerly of Glass Cloud and the Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza. And yes, that was an actual band, if you guys are unfamiliar with them. And I do comment on the silliness of the name. Uh, but we're going to get right into everything before we do. You guys have heard us talk about Fort Scott Munitions, and we are truly so blessed to have such a great ammunition sponsor on board for every show that we do. Uh, you know, in these times, a lot of people are stocking up and, you know, you don't know the right brand to choose. You're seeing a lot of price gouging going on, not with them, and they always deliver quality product. Although everything is flying off the shelves very quickly, as you could imagine. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike, which you could see on their Instagram. Hunters love Fort Scott. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com that's f-o-r-t-s-c-o-t-t-m-u-n-i-t-i-o-n-s.com use the exclusive promo code battleline for 15 percent off your order only available to listeners of the battleline podcast fort scott munitions is a proud supporter of chris peranto battleline tactical and the battleline podcast and stuff is flying off the shelves so go there now and if you're not buying ammunition they have some great merchandise as well. Buy a hat. The hats they have are awesome. Uh, and I think some of the other stuff, like the shirts and, and hoodies and all that, are just flying off the shelves. So I'm telling you, they restock, but there's only so much you can restock with how fast this stuff is going. So if you go there right now, it's going to be different than what you see there tomorrow, literally. So, uh, yeah, once again, that's fortscottmunitions.com, promo code BATTLELINE. Don't forget to use our promo code it's in the description you'll see right here. That's it. That was quick. Let's get right into it with the guitar master himself, Joshua Travis. Hit it. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. Hey, 
Yeah, so uh, excited to have you on, man. It's funny that we've never really crossed paths in real life before because right. I've known your vocalist, Frankie Palmieri, for, I'm thinking, like, nearly a decade now. It's pretty crazy. Time just flies. And, uh, yeah, before we even get into anything, it's, like, crazy news day. And <laughs> it's it's so funny because I was talking to you yesterday, and I was saying how, like, I come from the world of, uh, like, political talk radio, and it for me, honestly, at one point, it got to be way too much yeah. because nowadays, like everything is politics 24 yeah, seven. And it was definitely say that again. Definitely seems like it is for sure. Yeah. And it genuinely it was it was taking a toll on my mental health. I was like, I just need to be doing other things. And uh, nowadays, though, you cannot get past it. And of course, I mean, like the big news today, like. Uh, not 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 unexpectedly by any means the right. president has coronavirus right right <laughs> it's insane dude i know people are going to be pissed off that i'm laughing at it but it's just i mean it's just an insane news cycle right now right. is really what i'm like it's not like laughing it's not like you're laughing at him it's more of so like what it is it's just like i i'm i'm not but it was also like the guy didn't take the best precautions you know it like you expect kind of expected yeah <laughs> Um, but anyway, I mean, getting, getting into everything, actually, first thing I was going to say to you, my introduction to you actually was my first gig on radio. I started in radio in 2006 when I was at Hofstra university and was one of the hosts on a show called the aggressive edge, which was like a metal show. We got calls from everywhere. Um, I was located in Hempstead, which is where Hofstra university is. Interesting thing, actually is that one of the places that got the show, like the signal of 88.7, was it was a jail. So I would get calls from prison all the time of like, play Pantera, play play some Metallica. They're like, you're keeping us going here. So I got calls from all over the place. And it wasn't a prison call, but I remember I got one call. And this was 2006. You know, I'm not going to pretend I know every band. And some guy was like, hey, man, could you play some Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza? And I'm like, all right, man. And I fucking just hung up on him because I'm like, this is obviously a prank. And then like five minutes later, he's like, no, dude, they're an actual band. Check out Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza. Which really is. I know you weren't in the band at the origin, but it's truly like right. the silliest fucking name of all time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no, you know, if you, have, if you either know or, or are affiliated with, there is no escaping that name. <laughs> There's just no way. Either you know exactly who that is or you have no idea who that is, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, I feel like if you heard the name, you would, ex- you would assume they were like, on the joke band side of things, like that band I wrestled a bear once or Dr. Acula, but like you guys were actually a very serious, like I hate all the genres, but metal, metal, core, yeah. whatever you want to call what you did. It was a serious band. I mean, you, and you guys did amazing work. I, I think there was a lot about Tony Danza at first. That was a, a lot of jokes. Like there's like, you can look at like tons of the, the, the song titles and uh, little samples and things that there would have like in random parts of songs. And it was like, there was definitely some funny, funny stuff going on with it, but there was also a very serious side at the same time. And then I guess once I kind of, kind of took over the writing process, I was just much more serious, I guess. I didn't really have moments for like these little funny, you know, little quirky parts or whatever. I just never really 
got those in there. But I do think the band did have a lot of funny stuff going on. <laughs> like, you know, like early on, I think there was a lot of, you know, w- weird little funny things in there. Like Dancing 2 has it all over the place. You know, there's like, you know, all the skits and stuff. And like, I loved it. And, you know, Jesse, when when me and Jesse started working together, it was like, there was just kind of no room for it, really. It just got, it took a much more serious turn at that point. So that's, that's kind of how that all broke down. Yeah, I think maybe I didn't see that part of it because of the fact that like the stuff I really liked is is probably Danza Four, the the last one you guys ever did, and like I I really enjoyed that album, and then and then you know skipping ahead, kind of Glass Cloud came about, and I really dug because I'm someone who is definitely like into the very heavy stuff, but with some melodic things thrown in, with some melodic vocals thrown in, and I mean I just thought it was a great project especially the first album you guys did awesome thank you man that's really cool that was a very big uh right turn for me (laughs) coming from uh danza to to doing glass cloud was kind of like it took me a second to really i guess transition to that like i like to think that any kind of writer and or producer is able to serve and or feed what they need to be doing for any project no matter what it is no matter what kind of style it is whatever whatever the vibe may be and for whatever reason going from dance especially coming from dance of four to the beginning of glass cloud was like such a interesting transition for me so it's like i still wanted to have like a a bit of an edge to it but i did want to be able to have a lot more melody and stuff where it wasn't so much technicality and it was just more it's more more so it just felt good you know and then uh, not really having to focus on what the hell am I doing right now? You know, that was kind of what I wanted to veer away from after doing it for so long. And even doing it even before Danza, like this is like technical stuff, technical stuff, technical stuff. And it was really cool to be able to get to there. It just took me a while. Like even when I was doing like the first Glass Club record, it was still it's just like, I can't help but be doing whatever this is. And it's like, calm down, chill out. We're fine. We're fine here you can just go like this it's okay you know you don't have to go like this i promise <laughs> and for and for people seeing because we're on a video up like you're just going faster with your hands right right and it's like it just took it took a while to really get to that point where it was like okay now now i see where where we're going here but it was definitely fun doing that stuff though it was really cool I mean, I get it because also I think Danza got to the point of that was, and I don't really know what, what ended with you guys, um, you know, no longer doing what you were doing. Maybe you want to get into it or not, but I think it was really the furthest it could go with that type of music. And Glass Cloud was a lot more palatable to like a mainstream metal audience. They could hear that that album, listen to some of the hooks and some of your guitar parts. And, and it, it's something I could have heard on Liquid Metal or something, although I don't think it really was. It did get much commercial play. I don't think so. Anyways, I don't like, I guess at the end of dancing, when we were in the studio doing that record, it was just kind of, uh, you Jesse had, you know, obviously been there forever and he was just kind of at the point where he's like, he wanted to have a life. You know, I guess, I guess we call it the normal life, you know? And it was, um, you know, something that he really wanted to do. He wanted to get into like, you know, go back to school, you know, start a family and, you know, all these things. And it was like, what are you waiting for? Do it. (laughs) 
you know, that, that's where your head's at. I think that's where you should be. And that was it. It wasn't ever like some kind of bad thing or like some kind of beef or drama or something. It's just like life, man. You know, and I've, I've, I've been yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of get it. I think to do what you guys do and just knowing guys in bands like yourself, unless you're in a massively successful band, a band like Metallica, or I think Trivium, um, Frankie mentioned on his interview, mm-hmm. you have to be kind of nuts to do what you do. <laughs> yeah, you, gotta, yeah, you do. You're not, you're not, I mean, it's, it's only going to take you so far, man. And I guess it really depends on what kind of lifestyle do you want to live? You know, if you're cool with scraping by, you know, then yeah, you do it forever, I guess, you know, but if you want to have like anything, you know, substantial or, you know, in, in all the time that it takes, it's just to be even remotely relevant, you have to be out there, you know, constantly. And it's hard to really stay very uh, capable of doing that when you don't really make enough to live, you know, whether, whether it's within your means or not, like, it's just hard to stay doing that for so long when you, you really just don't make very much off of that. And now if you've got significant others or you got kids and, and you're still bringing home like next to nothing, like that's just going to cause problems for the, for the whole dynamic here, you know? And so it's not, it's not the easiest thing, but, you know, again, it's like, even like Frankie said, you know, if you're in one of these way more recognized acts, then yeah, you know, you can treat it like that. You know, it's like a, a legit job at that point, you know? So yeah, you can definitely make it like that. I'm wondering like right now, how weird of an adjustment is it? Because Yamura has a brand new album out that's, it's doing great, but I also know at the same point, like, you can't really eat off of hundreds of thousands or millions of plays on YouTube or streams on Spotify. And people don't even realize that. Like I, this is another thing I heard Frankie say, not in my interview. I listen to like everything he does. Cause I'm, I'm just a super fan of what you guys do to be completely honest. Um, but I remember him saying like the industry has their hand in like my pocket of everything I do because the whole, um, Excuse was basically, all right, you're not getting money for streams on Spotify, really, but you're getting exposure. And then you go on tour, people buy T-shirts. And it's like, well, right now there is no tour. So I have to wonder, are you in like a weird state of like, where do I go from here? Because none of us know what happens next. And although like a Madison Square Garden is going to survive and, you know, there will be shows again, I assume at some point, like right by me, a venue I know you guys have played at, um, Revolution in Amityville just closed down. And then there's a million venues in every other state. You could say the same thing for like, they can't survive going a a year plus without shows. And they certainly can't survive when things open up being like, well, you have to have social distancing and one third of, you know, capacity or something like, especially for the music you do. That's not how it works. Yeah. It's dude. It's all a mess. Like it really is. I know people that I guess being in a band is like their way of life. Really? It's, I mean, just imagine having the the rug pulled out from under your feet, you know, it's now you start having to try to figure out what to do to survive basically. And like, you know, we, I don't think even since I've been in the band and before the, there, Amir has never been like, 
some crazy content band. Like look at look at all of our guitar playthroughs and bass playthroughs, drum playthroughs, you know, vocal this, like what whatever you want to call it. It's like it's never been that. It's always been a band you go see. You know, you get the record. That's true. And if you really like the record, you really enjoy the record, then you go see the band and then for whatever for whatever reason, it, as for as long as I have known of Amir, seeing them live was always like, whoa. Yes. You know? Yeah, I, and I think there's a ton of people who don't get your band until you do see you guys live. Yeah. You guys have always, yeah. pre you being in the band to you being in the band now, it's always an amazing live show. Always. Like, definitely. Like, I, dude, I have seen Amir so many times before playing with him, and it was always like, dude, this is just insane. Like how heavy this is live. And the front of house guy is just killing it. Like they sound insane. And then being put in the spot to have to reproduce that intensity and that sound was just like, shit, okay, let me really figure this out. I didn't want to come out, you know, and not do it justice, you know. So Not to mention you're, you're, you replaced two guitar players. Right. And that's like, not even if they only had one guitar player, it still wouldn't have been like, like there's a, there's a vibe, there's a sound to that band that, so I, that I personally believe a lot of bands have tried to copy, you know, oh, what yeah. they have done. And it was just kind of like, I, I think that every guitar player has their, uh, their thing, their sound, their, you know, their unique quality about them. And I mean, you're always had that, like, Tons of people try to do that sound, and it's like, yeah, you may pick up on some of the riffs, but you don't write like they wrote, you know? So it's like you'll never have that thing, and it was kind of like, I'm just going to try to reproduce what they've done and then throw tastes of the things that I do naturally into it, you know, with it, and just try to keep that same intensity. And maybe if I can put more into it, awesome. But that was really like where I was trying to go with it's really just keep it like it was, you know, cause I didn't want to get into it and change it. You know, I wanted it to be able to keep moving, you know, was the big thing. And it, it, I'll tell you this, it wasn't easy to do it. It definitely wasn't. But, you know, once I got to a, a comfortable spot with it, it was like, okay, this, this is doable, you know, and you're you're so right about the unique sound too. But like when I really noticed it, especially was I remember Josta's first solo album. There was a song on there that had this guitar part that was like the you know that that high pitch thing. And I remember hearing it and thinking, I was like, is he trying to go for that Amir sound or like? And then I was like, I have to look at the credits of this song. And sure enough, the old guitar player Jesse wrote the song. And I'm like, okay, like. That's how you know you have a signature sound. And, and yeah. I mean, it can be said for so many, like when you hear Jimi Hendrix, it's Jimi Hendrix. When you hear Stevie Ray Vaughan, it's Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eddie Van Halen, and so on and so forth. Like a distinct, a distinct tone is so valuable. Like there's a million other bands where you hear the guitar tone and they it all sounds alike. You wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah, them. exactly. Exactly. That's like a, that's a very <clears throat> interesting part about the, the, that whole thing. It's like, especially now when there's so many bands and, you know, everybody has access to the same things to be able to sound basically exactly like any other band, any other player, you know, and it's like there, there is a, an underlying thing that every guitar player, like say myself and whoever other guitar player sitting right here, 
We both have the same guitars, same pickups. We're using the same amps, same cabs, whatever. And if we both play the same thing, they're still going to sound different. Yep. It's just because of our, people say it's because of our hands. Our hands make the instruments sound different. And so when I, when I'll, I'll get like a lot of questions, like how do you make this sound like this? And how do you do this? And I tell everybody the same thing. There's no tricks to anything I do. I just, I try to pick quality amps or profiles or modules, like whatever it may be. And that's it. I treat it like it's an amp. I don't throw a million things in front of it or behind it. I just use it, tune it like it's an amp and play it. <laughs> and it just so happens that I guess my hands sound like this, <laughs> you know? And so that's like, it's, I think that that can help in so many different ways with every guitar player if they just let what 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 you are producing be what it is. You know, you're, you're automatically going to sound like yourself. You know, and nobody else can sound like that. You know. Yeah, I I so like a year ago, I don't know if you uh, saw of this. I know you're not in New York, so it wasn't where you were. But there was that um, at the Met- Metropolitan Museum. They had this guitar exhibit. And it was like all these famous guitars. It was the Eddie Van Halen, like original Frankenstein guitar. It was, you know, stuff played by James Hetfield and you got to check it all out. And there was a room where they had videos of like Tom Morello talking about his tone and Eddie Van Halen talking about his tone. And so it's such an interesting thing. I think developing that sound, that's like a signature to you. How long did it take for you to make like the Joshua Travis guitar tone that you use today? I mean, honestly, they're, it's kind of weird because I know a lot of, uh, I guess, seasoned guitar players. I feel like they generally have their sound, you know, and whether it's just a specific amp or a specific device or something that they always use, they'll always generally have the same tone. And then they kind of just make tweaks on it here and there, change this EQ curve a little bit here or there or whatever. And for myself, dude, I rarely use the same tone. Like I'll use different pieces of gear from tour to tour. Like I, I don't, I'm just always chasing the sound that I have in my head that I have never figured out how to actually get because it's the weirdest. It's like to describe it, it would be say you, uh, okay, <laughs> try to follow me here. <laughs> you have your guitar and next to your guitar, you have a chainsaw. Okay. The lower you play on the neck, the slower speed the chainsaw is at. The higher you play, the faster the chainsaw is spinning. And that's what this sound is not like. Don't necessarily think of it as the whine that a, chain, a chainsaw makes. Think of it as the <laughs> the metal on metal inside of a chainsaw. You know, and as you move up, it ramps up. That's like the sound that I have in my head. And how, how in the hell am I supposed to translate <laughs> into a tone? I have no idea. But like... As far as my sound goes, it's like, man, almost anything that I use, as long as I can get the gain structure right, it always comes back to, yeah, this sounds right. <laughs> you know, it's like very easy for me to uh, get a, a cool sound on almost anything. And it's like, it's almost like I don't really have the specific sound, if you will. It's more the techniques that I do which every way that you play something, you know, whether if you were to downstroke it, it sounds like this. If you were to upstroke it, it sounds like this. And so it's kind of like, I always, I can't help but utilize my techniques all the time. So it's like, it just starts to sound like what I do, 
not necessarily what I would typically sound like, but more so what I do, you know? So it's like, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have a, a tone sound, like a home sound there. It's just, excuse me, more like, just like, yeah, it's just, it's just really what I do. And for whatever reason, it always sounds like this. Like so many people tell me, like, as soon as I hear something you do, I can tell it's you. And I'm yeah. thinking, how I'm not, I'm using a crate blue voodoo on this, you know, like how can you do that? And it's just like, I guess it has something to do with, you know, my hands with the instrument. And that's kind of one thing I try to not change a whole lot of is the instrument that I'm playing. It's like, once I get comfortable with, whatever guitar it may be that kind of becomes like a home for me so every time i pick it up we know what we're about to do you know the communication is just it it just never stops you know so it's like i like sometimes i can play a certain thing this way and then i can play it again a completely different way but it still all translates this like this almost the same so it's like it's just an interesting thing man like I, i never really had like rules with really anything it's like just try to achieve whatever the sound is that you're going for and like you know does that make it a pain in the ass on tour though that you have to change so many things to replicate what you once did i don't think it really is a pain like that because it creates a uh how would i put this it's like it creates a challenge it's almost like can you do that like what if i only gave you this could you still pull it off and i feel like Six times out of ten, I could pull it off. You know, it's just if I have like the right components there, I can I can probably do it because, I, like I said, I keep things as simple as possible. Like I'm not one of these people that has like the most insane rig with all of these pedals and whatever going on, dude. My my setups could not be more bare bones. Like they, and I think that's where a lot of people, I guess, kind of start mutilating their sound is by putting so many different things in these chains. And it's like, you just kind of start losing the organicness of what it is that you were starting off with. And like, basically I feel like if you're not starting off with something really good, are you really <laughs> planning to come out with something great at the end of it? Cause it's like, you know, I, I would like, I'd rather start with something good and leave it alone than to start with trash and try to make it great, you know. So yeah, you know, which I, I would think it's so hard to lose that organic component that you're saying in today's world because of technology. And I'm especially thinking of like music was originally four or five guys in a garage jamming, and now like you guys in a mirror all live in different states, or, or several of you do. Like, so with this latest album, were you guys in a studio together, or was it just hey, here's a guitar part, here's my vocals? How did it work? I guess the writing process is a little different. Um, Generally I will write everything and then either send stuff to Frank or he'll fly out here or whatever the case may be. And then we'll sit together, go through everything, see what we really like together. And then, you know, maybe restructure this, restructure that. And then that way, when we go to the studio, uh, we were, uh, I guess we were probably like, somewhere between 15 to maybe 20 tracks, you know, that we went there with. And then basically with the producer, we just sat there and broke it down all over again. Like, you know, what do we feel is strong? What do we feel is not as strong? What do we like? What do we not really like? You know, things like that. But it's generally uh, just 
Frankie and I, we just put this stuff together. And really, it's me trying to give him what he feels most comfortable to be over, you know? So it's not just like, this is the sickest riff. It's more like, you know, like, I mean, when you really break it down, when you, when you were, if you were to look over a show and watch what people are singing in the crowd, I'm willing to bet you money you won't see very many people singing the riffs, you know? <laughs> so it was kind of like, you know, I, we let guitars take a back seat and really try to really put the light onto the vocals. Like, I mean, he's always been like this, the real staple of that band. Like they've always had their sound, but he is like the forefront of it. Yeah. So it was kind of like, let's just, well, well, it's the same thing we were talking about with guitar tone. When you hear Frankie scream, you know, it's him immediately. No one sounds like him. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, we wanted to put a lot of shine on that. So we really wrote the record for that, you know? So, but I mean, the, the process is always very simple. I just, I start off with whatever ideas and then we just kind of bounce it back and forth until we have it at a spot that we want it at. And I mean, I'd really, I, I guess the only, I don't, dude, this is a kind of a weird thing. Like I remember being in bands a long time ago that all of us together, like you were saying, like just some people in a room or a garage or whatever, and you just sat and everybody bounced parts around, ideas around until it just all turned into this thing. And it's like, holy shit, this is a song now. And now, like, fast forward from then to Danza, when I had to do Danza 3 and Danza 4, it's like, I guess I'm going to write all this stuff by myself. And then it turned into Glass Cloud. And it's like, I guess I'm going to write all this stuff by myself. And then it came into it. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna write all this stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I maybe I don't know if it, I, it can't be just me, but the any times that I ever had anybody else writing with me in any of these projects, I always like it more because it's not just me. Because I, I already know what I'm gonna do. You know, it's like before I, the song's even written, it's like I, I already know where my head would say to go with this. And then when you have somebody else that can come in and offer things, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Because I definitely would not have done this, you know. So that it's really enjoyable having that. But I'm just so so used to what I do and the way that I write that it, it was it's just different, you know. So having a producer for like the last two of your records has been awesome, you know. Somebody that can like take this material. And start to twist it around. I mean, even in ways that I was like, whoa, <laughs> like this is way cooler now. And it was like probably one of the first times I've had a producer do this is like beforehand. It was like I've worked with whatever engineers and they always take the vision that I have and they just turn it into the vision that they have. Which mm. was not the same thing at all. Yeah. But ultimately, I was very... Uh, very weird about going to a producer. I was like, no, I'm not into this. I'm not going to somebody to have them just tear apart whatever stuff it is I've been working on for however long. And we went into the studio with uh, Drew Folk, and this was on Look at Yourself. And with some of the tracks that he heard, I you could like see it in his eye. He was like, he has an idea. And me, I was kind of like, all right. I guess. Yeah, so you, you had like a preconceived notion before yeah, I mean, there I, of what was going to happen. I figured he's probably going to take this and turn it into who knows what he's going to turn it into. Who knows? But 
rather than say anything or put off any bad vibes, I was like, let's see what you got. Let's see what you got. And man, he took one of these tracks and he just, it wasn't even, he didn't really hardly add anything to it at all. What he did was he flipped it all around and he like restructured it all. So it was this. Which song is this? Now I'm curious. This was the name of this song is, uh, man, I think it's called Flag of the Beast. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, it's funny that I, I heard, you know, it's, I, I listened to your interview with Doc Coyle. So I remember you saying, like, I don't remember the song titles. You're like, oh, I have yeah. a different name in my head. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's a great riff. The uh, I'm thinking of it in my head. They're like, He wrote that. I didn't even write it. Nice. That. He wrote that. <laughs> you know what's even better? I think we can start the show with that. That's such a great <laughs> riff. You what's better about that? That little guitar lead, that's Drew playing that. When he tracked wow. it, just tracking the idea. And I was like, that's perfect. He's like, yeah, but here, go ahead and retract this. I'm like, hell no, I'm not retracking that. That's the one. That's and the, and the fans don't don't know or care. I mean, right. like, I'm such a music nerd, so like, I'm a diehard Kiss fan, right? And and there's so much shit that like Paul Stanley didn't play on, Gene Simmons didn't play on, they didn't write, but. If their faces are on the cover and it sounds like them, people are like, cool. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's Drew playing that. And like, dude, he took that song and restructured it. And it was it was so crazy to see how his mind did that, where it was like he just took all of these parts and he like made them communicate with each other. Like that's why the song flows the way that it does, because he made it flow like that. When I wrote the song, dude, it was just fucking heavy it was just heavy which was another thing that changed not in, not not necessarily in a bad way but it was like for whatever reason everything that i write when i'm on my rig it's just heavy as fuck for whatever reason it's just how it is it just comes out that way i'm not sitting here like let's be heavy like no that's not happening <laughs> it's, that's just the way it comes out but when we went yeah. to him and took all the material it just he made it I don't know how to put it. He made it make sense where it was like all the riffs are the same, but they're like, everything is, has a home now where it's like, this is the way that this flows. And it's not just like, this is just crazy heavy. Like flag of the beast was so heavy and he twisted it and it almost made it like, (laughs) like the closest thing to a radio song that I could have done. You know, which was like, dude, I can't even ever since then, it like opened my opened my doors to producers ever since. Like when we went back to do um, hindsight, I didn't even write the record like normal. I wrote it like I'm taking all of this to Drew. So all rather than sit here and write songs, I wrote what I think songs would need in them. You know, like I need these types of riffs. I need this type of feel. I need this type of vibe. I want this type of emotion. I need this type of speed, like things like that. And then I said, here, you put it together. How do you think? After watching how he did Flag of the Beast, it was just kind of like, okay, so this dude's a real deal then, huh? And it was, we just, so I guess it could also be like, you know, sometimes you hear those stories of artists or acts or bands working with certain producers and it's just hell on earth. Like, it just does not work. It does not click. And whenever we went in to do uh, Look at Yourself, it was just vibe from the start. Like, it just clicked so well. 
And I mean, <laughs> Drew will always, Drew and Jeff, they will always say that working with me in the studio was so great because of how fast I can do whatever needs to be done. That's like, okay, I'm going to give you like, I'm, I'm going to take 10% for that. Okay, cool. I'll take, I'll, I'll take the 10%. But these two, like they just, they just really roped the whole thing together. Like they really and it. And when you have like that kind of uh, energy in the room, it just makes things go good. It just does. You know, so there was never like any, oh, okay, I guess I got to do this. It was always like, all right, bam, we're done. What's next? <laughs> you know i'm glad to hear that you guys were actually like organically in a studio together because that i didn't know and i think it's so common nowadays for someone to just send something over to someone else yeah. and it's put together and you know even doing this podcast now like i'm used to pretty much i would say a good uh, 13 14 years of my career is being in studio with other people and like that organic thing and walking into the green room or the uh, control room during commercial breaks and stuff. And like now it's all changed with all this zoom stuff going on. I mean, I'm, we're on Squadcast, but um, yeah, it, it's all changed. And I do think a little bit of that, a, bit, a little bit of that organic element of being in studio with the people is no longer there. It's missing. And yeah, I'm just glad to hear. Cause I've, I've also seen interviews with you and Frankie and you guys seem like you just click as, as personalities, as people, which is great. I don't, dude, it just, it's, I don't, I don't even know how to put it. Like some people you just are on it with, you know, like even if you don't see eye to eye on everything, it's like, that's how it should be. Even if you don't see eye to eye on everything, you're still here, you know, together yeah. fighting the same fight, you know, and, you know, traveling the same path, you know, trying to get to destinations like <laughs> unknown, you know what I mean? And like, we just have, like, I, I remember when, when Frankie first hit me up about doing this. I wanted it to be the heaviest thing on planet Earth because <laughs> like at the end of like 2015, OK, when he hit me up about this. And I, I mean, I was so stoked about it. It's like, dude, we're going to make the heaviest shit on Earth. And he was like, mm, no, it's like, I don't really want to make the heaviest shit on Earth. <laughs> cool stuff. I mean, it's pretty fucking heavy. It is. Let's be honest. <laughs> can't even imagine the things that I had in mind. <laughs> I don't even know how it would have gone over. Like it would, it would just would have been like, what? You know, I'm I'm so I'm just so glad though that it worked out the way it did because I mentioned this on the show before, and I know he's pretty much an open book about things, so I'm not saying anything you know that he wouldn't want revealed. But during that time, Frankie actually called me because I was working at Sirius XM and he was like, hey, do you think there's anything going on? Because I don't know, like, what's happening for me in the future right now. And I understand why, like the entire band walked away from him. And there was this huge perception in like the online metal community of it was just so funny to me of Frankie being this like asshole and people can't get along with him. And even if you watched, um, I mentioned it to him on the interview we did, but like the DVD of um the album before uh what was it i'm, I'm free eternal enemies oh, right yeah. like he was looked at as like the tyrant of the band and you could tell that they were they were just not clicking his people and the reason i bring this up is because it's so funny to me because from day one when i met him just as a fan he's been a completely down-to-earth personable guy i never got that vibe from him he's always been cool to anyone who's been a fan of the group um and i you know i know that touring with someone everything is going to get on your nerves about 
someone at some point and it's just understandable. Like I'm the same with people I've worked with in radio. Like there's people I love, but there'll be some little thing they do that, that it's going to get on your nerves. I, I get it. It's like being married to someone. I totally understand all that. But I think that these perceptions of him were really ridiculous. And I think some of it might even come from his lyrics because his lyrics are very cocky, arrogant, but that's not who he is, right. at least from my experience. Right, right, right. Like, here's the whole thing about everything. <laughs> all people have their opinions, man. They all do. And they're all going to say whatever they believe to be true. And so when they do, you know, we as, you know, the other the other party here have two, one or two options. You can either go back after this person or say whatever you think, man. And that's basically where 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 it all ends. It's like you you can think whatever you want, you say whatever you want. And you know, like you could think I'm the nicest guy in the world. And you say something that gets under my skin and I reply to it and it's not a nice thing. All of a sudden I'm an asshole. But ultimately, I'm just a person. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have feelings and shed just like anybody else does, you know. So it's kind of like it's, it's just really however you want to view it. You know, if you think somebody is if you want to think somebody's an asshole, you're gonna, you know. So and we just leave it at that. Like, think whatever you want. And also in this world, everybody thinks because everyone is so accessible that you could reach everyone's social media and you could read articles that someone wrote on someone. They think they know that person. Right. And th their perception is based off, yeah, someone that they've never even met, never even spoke to. Like my, I'll tell you a story on here that I don't think I've ever told in the podcast, but it's, it's probably one of the coolest stories of my life. So um, I went, and it's at a venue that you play, I've seen you play at. So um, I was about, actually 17 at the time. I'm a huge Motley Crue fan. I have like Dr. Feelgood tattoo on my back. <laughs> I went to go see uh, Brides of Destruction, Nikki Six's side project at the time with Tracy Guns because Motley Crue wasn't happening. I like, dude, I'm 34 years old. People say I look like I'm in my 20s. So like me at 17, I probably look like I was 12, you know? <laughs> um, but I was, I was with my friend Jay, who was like 22 at the time. And he said, hey man, you want me to get you a beer while you're here, like at Starland? And and I was like, I don't know, man. Am I going to get kicked out or something? And he's like, no, 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 you're good, man. I know security here. You're going to be fine. I take a sip of beer and immediately security like grabs me by the shoulder and they're like, you're out of here, dude. They uh, down my name. And it was in the freezing cold winter, New Jersey, Sayreville, New Jersey. Um, and I see a tour bus uh, roll up and I see Nikki Six get out and I'm out there freezing. And I just said to Nikki Six, I was like, hey, man. Uh, just to let you know, I like, I came out from Long Island, but I just got kicked out for drinking. Uh, but it's cool to meet you. Like, I, I love what you do. And he's like, Hey, listen, I got to run for an interview, but I'm going to see, I'm going to see what I could do. I'll, I'll be back. Just chill out here for a little bit. And I ended up talking to some guy in the parking lot, like who worked for Starland ballroom. And he goes, and he said to me like kind of sarcastically, or like, he was like, man, you really think Nikki six is going to get you back into the show? And I was like, no, but it's cool that I at least met him. You know, I at least have like a story to tell for coming out here. Sure enough, dude, like 20 minutes later, Nikki Six comes out. He hands me like a VIP laminate. He goes, here you go, man. You're good to go. And I got to like go right up on the like near the stage and watch that night. I actually think his wife was right next to me, his wife at the time, Donna Darico. And uh, like all these years later, working in radio, I got to see Nikki Six again at Sirius, like probably two, three years ago or three years ago. 
And I was, I told him the story again. I'm like, you probably don't remember this, but you know, when people say you're an asshole online, like I have your back. <laughs> and he's like, that's awesome. Man. Because like people don't hear those stories. It's always like the negative perception of people. And like, my experiences with Frankie always been super cool. And the fact that he's always been like so accessible to people. Oh, like when I asked him to come on here, he's always like, oh yeah, sure enough. And like, I think that's why you guys have remained successful. But it, yeah, it's, it's gotta be just weird because I'm so glad to see you guys hooking up and you had so many awesome things on the horizon. Like when I interviewed him, I'm like, wow, you give these festivals lined up with Slipknot, Corn, this is going to be amazing. And then everything stops. Yeah. That was about to be the coolest shit we have done since we have been in the band. You know, we were like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is sick. And then, never mind. <laughs> you know, so it's, it sucks, dude. It sucks. Like, hopefully, hopefully things will, I don't know. Hopefully things will become normal-ish, hopefully. You know, like, and hopefully before too long, because, dude, I don't know how long we're even going to be able to be <laughs> not doing this. You know, like that, uh, it really messes with, like, the, not even just the flow of things, but it's like the mental aspect of it. You know, then you start wondering, like, should I even be doing this anymore? Like, what, 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 did, what am I supposed to be doing right now? You know, so it's it just gets it gets weird, man. It it can definitely really put a cloud over you pretty bad. Like you know, so we just try to do the do what we can. You know, now in this whole uh, with, with with this climate, it's just trying to find how we can still be productive. You know, and uh, having just put a record out, it's like you can't just go put out another record. You know, like yeah. yes, but that doesn't make any sense, you know, like, so it's just trying to find ways to just be productive. You know, so I've been like trying to um, write my own stuff, put out my own stuff <clears throat> and uh, stay active. And, and I should mention there, you know, you have a new pro not, not project, but new songs out with Andrew, Andy Sizak of monuments. And am I saying it right? Macari? I honestly don't know how they pronounce it. <laughs> but you have, yeah, several new songs. One just came out, right? Yeah, well, and um, Andy and I have been kind of like mulling over just how, how we don't know how many tracks we want to do. We just want to just do tracks. And uh, yeah, like Andy Sizzik is just, he's so good, super sick, super sick dude, sweetest dude. And he's a powerhouse of a vocalist. So it's kind of like these are tracks that, I could never see a mirror doing. It's not, they don't have like an Amir sound and a mirror vibe. And uh, they really, they just sound like me, you know, but having somebody like Andy uh, really fronting it was just like, I mean, you just listen to it for, you know, listen to it for yourself. Like, I mean, I, I think that the material is cool. Like I always kind of bounce back and forth, whether to have my stuff be instrumental or whether to have, you know, somebody on it or not. And I sent him a track because I, we, Andy and I wanted to work together for a really long time anyways. And so when, when I started, you know, coming up with this idea to just start randomly releasing stuff, I hit him up and tossed him a track. And when he sent it back to me, I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, so it was like, this is sick. And, you know, we posted it, you know, some people were into it. We're like, cool. And, I, I remember later on asking, I was like, would you want to do another track? 
And he's like, dude, send me as many tracks as you want. And I'm like, I mean, everybody has all the time in the world, right? To right, work right. on exactly. material. And that's going back to the whole trying to stay productive. It's like, it doesn't necessarily just have to be me pounding a mirror stuff constantly. It's just keep dialing in on your craft, you know, like in any way that you can. And it's, you know, again, it's more of a challenge now because I'm shifting my style. Granted, it is me going back to being more just organic me, not like writing with a certain element in mind. It was more so do whatever the fuck you want to do, which is very easy for anybody. You know, and it's like, oh, I just do whatever I want to do. All right, cool. You know, not, you know, having like these kind of guidelines that are already preset for you. So that it was really cool. But it's like things like that to just stay productive, you know, and uh challenging yourself to do different things like you know it's always cool being able to be the producer in my own stuff where it's like somebody like andy when he sends me his tracks back now i get to go back to the song and redo the song to to to, to make his parts stand up even more you know where it's like if you're in a studio with a bunch of people and you're tracking like in a normal process, it's not always that easy to just turn around and say, okay, now I need to flip all these parts up to suit the vocals better. Like it doesn't always work out that way when you're in a recording setting. So it just so happened when I'm doing this stuff myself, I can always go back and recall whatever, change whatever I want at any given time. So having him, you know, toss these vocals into this, it's like, cool, now I can change up all these different hits to suit exactly what it is that he's doing. And it just makes it so much more impactful for me. But also pushing that whole producing side, you know, which is super monumental for what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's so cool. Are you finding other outlets to kind of lend your talents to? Because I could tell you, man, with this whole COVID thing, I do, you know, voiceover and I'm spending more more of my day now. Actually, like everything has been beneficial for me, as weird as it is. I'm doing like more audiobooks and voicing more podcasts. I mean, I would think there's a ton of bands out there recording material who would love an appearance from you who, or who would love for you to like do some type of production on their album. There's I, I there's got to be like opportunity for that type of thing, I would think. Yeah, there is. There is. I've, I've done uh, two projects so far. Um and uh, it's what this is. This may sound kind of weird, but it, it turns out that I really like when bands come to me to do uh, any kind of work with them, where they're not really trying to like utilize a name, you know, like such and such did this. They, it's like when they don't even care about that all that or care about that at all. It's just so like refreshing to uh, hear that, and they're more about what is this material going to do? Where, where, where are we able to take this? I love that. Cause they're, that just shows that they're not looking for like, I don't even know how to word it Whether it's just more, uh, they care about the project. They don't care about whose name they get to say had something to do with this, you know, when they're like, we just thought that you might be the person to come to, to kind of elevate this to the next step. That's sick. And so I, I'm like pretty selective, you know, and it's huge because everything nowadays is about name dropping and it's, I mean, it's insane. I listened to, you know, especially with the time we have, I listened to so many podcasts, but I listened to Edsel Dope and Tony Campos on, uh, Jamie Joster from Hate Breeds podcast, who I just mentioned, but yeah, Edsel was talking about being in LA 
like everybody wants to be an actor and a musician. If you ask them, like, what are they up to? He said people will be like, well, my agent works with Tom Cruise and Bob. And he's like, yeah, but what about you? Like, what are you doing? You know, and I think that that is true. The same thing that you're saying with the name dropping. Yeah. Like, oh, well, we have Joshua Travis on the album. We have an appearance from this guy, you know, but at, at a certain point, it's like, well, you know, what do you bring to the table? Right, right. It's like if you want to write it in there somewhere, I mean, that's cool. But if that's like your whole edge is like, dude, we got, you know, we got Frankie Pomeri on this track. And it's like, all right. So to me, you already just shot yourself in the foot because that sounds like to me, this song isn't even going to take off till he's in the song. And when he's in there, all right, bam, that's probably where the, the, the shine is going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's like, I would rather my shit slam as soon as you hit play. And then all of a sudden, can you imagine that? What if people just put out banger ass tracks and then <laughs> nowhere Frankie's on the track? It's like, what? That'd be cool. You guys have never been big on guest appearances. I, I like, I don't think there's ever been a, you know, actually maybe the first Amur and then, and then there were some like, guys smaller in the scene who i actually even personally know on like on um the second album mm -hmm. uh i'm trying to remember all the album titles in my head now the one with john cena on the cover uh was maybe that's the <laughs> the respect issue yeah, yeah yeah had like had guys from like from the pawn and uh from bliss to devastation but like and those were also like footnotes you wouldn't know but uh yeah. on the recent albums at least as far as i know it's all you guys and i mean i know you guys could both probably find some big names to jump on a track but that's never been your thing i guess we talked about it for hindsight dude we had a we had a crazy idea but i guess at the end of it you know like it just didn't make sense to do it but it's not something that we're against we just have to have it's just got to be the right feature more than anything it's something that really makes sense to us you know and that was that was why we didn't have it on hindsight. But we we talked about it a lot. We talked about it a lot. We talk. We still talk about it a lot. Like I, I'd be willing to bet that it'll happen. Like who? Like who are you thinking? Dude, there's so many people. There's, I mean, some of them are rappers. You know, it's like there's just, I mean, dude. It's a slew of them. There's just there's because there's so many awesome artists out there, and you know so many awesome vocalists. Like, dude, I've thought about having like certain bass players. You know that it's like you know what you don't hear ever bass solos. Yeah, ever unless it's like Primus, you know, right? But it's like, and, and I've also heard I've heard like that Post Malone is a, is like an Amur fan. I, I like imagine him. A, I did hear that in an interview. I think he knows Frankie. I I could be totally off on this, but I, I'm pretty sure I've heard this somewhere. Well, I know he's a fan of like everything, but imagine him jumping on a song. Like, I'll jump on the <laughs> fine, dude. It's fine. Take over. <laughs> like, that would be, be insane. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, something that would be super cool like that. Like something that's just like, whoa, what? Like that's what I would want. That's what I would want. But also like, you know, this going back to that whole organicness where it's like you're not throwing somebody's name on it to be like, hey, I got la la la. That's not what it is. It's just like it's a track, and then all of a sudden you hear this voice that you know, and you're like, "What is this happening?" You know, like, dude, that 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 is organic. You know, yeah, I, I could even give you an example of that. I'm not I'm not like the biggest fan of theirs, but I was I was uh, skimming through the new uh, Run the Jewels album, 
and I heard that song. It's it's something like uh, walking in the snow or something. Anyway, like I heard the hook, and I'm like, I know this voice. And then I realized it's like because it doesn't say featuring. But being an old school three six mafia fan, I'm like, that's gangsta boo on the hook. That's so cool. <laughs> it is cool to not and also because I feel like unless you're a hip hop fan from like the late nineties, early two thousands, you wouldn't even know who that is. Right. You know? it, it's such an obscure right. uh because run the jewels could probably get whoever they want on there. Yeah. You know, but to to throw someone on there that like only this group of people is gonna know, I thought was pretty cool to do. Yep. That's awesome. Like, you just don't – I guess it's all different now anyways, man. Like, all the stuff that I grew up on, I still listen to today. Same. Yeah. You know? So it's like – We're all like – everybody's like that, though. I, right. Like, I've heard that the stuff that you listen to when you're, I don't know, like 13 to 18, like, that's always going to be your favorite. And, I, I mean, if, even my dad, like, is – and I'm pointing here because my parents until I actually like move out of here. Um, not that I'm temporarily here for those listening. <laughs> my house was sold. Uh, not like living at my parents' house in 34. I've been here for like a week. But um, no, but live at my parents' house right now. <laughs> yeah, no. My my dad is like is a diehard music guy, and, and I grew up on so much of the stuff that he did, and you know because of him. But like his favorite stuff that he still listens to is like the Beach Boys, the Beatles, Almond Brothers Band, and I'm sure that was what he was into when he was like teenager you know it's i think it's always going to be that way that's always your favorite hey can we just point out real quick that the beach boys are awesome all right dude i love the beach boys right. I, that's funny you say that i'm a diehard beach boys fan there's some stuff there that's like whoa yeah like, the production the harmony yeah dude there's some crazy shit going on with, with the beach boys that uh, until like in glass dude okay so being in glass club was very uh oh man i guess just an overall very eye-opening experience. Like they, like two of the dudes in the band were uh, Berkeley grads, and so they know their shit. Long story short, and, and I'm sure you're talking Berkeley School of Music, yeah. not yeah. UC Berkeley. Yeah. yeah, and um, playing with them just opened my eyes and ears to like so many different things. And like, I don't know shit about theory. I don't like. I literally don't know shit. Not at all. And those dudes are like, they live and breathe it, you know? So I would be doing things and my, my bass player, Trav would be like, Oh, you're doing this. And he would tell me exactly what it is that I'm doing. And I'm looking at the guitar, like, what the fuck did he just say? I'm, I'm doing what? You know? and, like, and then he started showing me what I'm, I'm literally sitting here doing. And he's like, yeah, this is where this is. And when you put your finger here, that makes this a, this chord and la, la, la. And then they would just randomly, dude, it was so cool watching these two just like play together. It's like they would not be doing anything and you try to be sitting here, you know, hitting notes or whatever. And it's just, I'm just sitting here like, whatever, he's just over there making noise. And then all of a sudden they're like playing a drum and bass groove. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, what is going on? And then when they're sitting here doing this, it was kind of like so freeing to be not in my element at all, but be able to like go back to that producer side, you know, like it was like, I could hear things happening in that. And it was so much more fun because I wasn't sitting here making all of that. Like, honestly, I couldn't have made that. I, I would have never even thought like what he's doing as a baseline. It was like, dude, you're doing like notes that don't even, they don't <laughs> even pretend go together. And then Chad, the drummer would be playing like, 
like I don't know what you call it, like a swinging type of beat. But he ha- where the metronome is, he has a way to like not hit on the pulse. So it'll be like either just before or just after, and it gives it like this staggering feel. And dude, it's just like so sick playing with people that are like m- like mind worlds ahead of what I understand. So it's like being forced to be able to play with sick people, you know? So <laughs> it's like so cool to be able to play like that. And it just, it changed how I hear things like forever. And it's like one thing I noticed, like being kind of uh, at the mercy of having to program majority of what it is that I write on my own. It's, it kind of sucks because a lot of the things, not a lot, but some of the things that I hear, I can't program because I, I can't imagine how to make the program be wrong, but still be right. Like that's something that is just a complete humanizing thing. It's like you can, you can make a feel out of something that is basically just not locked in. And that was one of the most enjoyable things with playing with them. Anytime we would play together, we would never be playing heavy stuff. Never. It was always like weird drum and bass group, <laughs> eerie guitar, reverb, delay, crazy things. And like every time we played together, that's all we did. And it was almost so weird because it was kind of like, when it was just the three of us playing, like doing this shit, it was always like, why are we playing all this heavy ass shit when clearly this is what we want to be playing? Like this is <laughs> what it is. And then it was time for the show and it's like, oh, okay, distortion, right, go. You know, it was so crazy, like playing with them like that. Very, very, very cool time. That was a really cool point in time. That's awesome. I mean, I think all great musicians have influences from all over the place. You know, yeah. that's why it's just so silly when I hear people that, you know, I listen to metal, I don't listen to rap or, you know, right. it, it's stupid because <clears throat> there's so much great stuff out there to be discovered. I, yeah. I'm still the, I'm still like my favorite time period, even though, um, you know, I, I, I assume you're like around my age, right? I'm 34. 40. Really? Just, oh, you look young, bro. Good. Because <laughs> I was gonna say, like, m- the stuff I would really say I grew up on is like Limp Biscuit, Corn, yeah, uh, you know, all of that. But my favorite stuff is the '80s stuff, and oh, it's yeah. like I'm still discovering more and more music from that era. There's there's so much to be discovered. Okay, I mean, I'm sure that there is. I don't really go quite well. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of music we're talking about here. Me personally, I don't really listen to a lot of metal like not really like if i do it's generally older because it's different (laughs) like you know it's not so much about the production but although a lot of the stuff that i listen to that is older they had insane recordings even if they were bad recordings they were great recordings you know but like now it's it's not the same dude it's like like having, you know, all these, you know, digital studios where it's like, yeah, this stuff sounds great, but it doesn't sound like this. But there's mm-hmm. no reason it doesn't sound like this because you weren't using that shit, you know, and you were using this stuff, but it still sounds great. But it's never going to hit you like this stuff does. You know, like there's like circuits and knobs and shit in here, you know, like not like plug plug into this interface and press record and Pro Tools. That's that's. It's not what it was. There's a lot of different things going on. And, you know, there was somebody back there manning this thing and, you know, you know, twisting the things and 
pushing faders to make certain spots hit harder than others where you do it in Pro Tools, you just turn the fader up a little bit, turn it back down. It's like, no, dude, these guys have like, you know, 64 channels that they're trying to like, you know, have two or three people working on this thing at one time, you know, where that's it, just, uh, it's all, it's all people with their hands on things, you know, like doing that and those, those sounds and drum drums and rooms and microphones hanging from the ceilings, taped to the walls, you know, just whatever, whatever it was, you know, and that's, I, I don't know why, but that stuff stuck with me the most. And I'm, all yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but I'm going to throw in here and I'm moving away from the mic because this is what I'm currently reading is Steven Tyler's autobiography. Okay, cool. And he has so much of that in there, man. He talks about, he's like back in the saddle. He's like, I strapped like, I think it's like these bells to his, um, or so it, was, it, it was like, I don't know. It was something that made noise around his ankles, like to mimic, like, you know, cowboy boots, like walking into uh, the studio. Yeah. And, and then he talks about the beginning of sweet emotion. He's like, that's a, that's like a salt packet that I'm shaking into the microphone. Uh, like there's so much organic stuff like that, that yeah, I think pre pro tools, pre all the technology we have, like you had to improvise with so much stuff. Like, all right, we don't have this right now. Yes, you know, we, we can't find maracas. Well, let's use something. Use a salt packet. Like whatever. Yeah. You know, I love that. I love that, man. Like when I'm trying to track my sounds, Generally, like in a studio uh, scenario, I don't ever really get my way with guitars. Like it never happens. Unless I do it myself, it just doesn't happen. But I want to like literally mic up whatever cabs, whatever, in a in a big room. But I want to put two mics, just a stereo set of mics, somewhere really far away from where the cabs are. So all you get is this ridiculous room sound. Okay. And if you were to take your direct mics and now start to bring in this crazy ass room sound of these guitars, can you imagine how big that's going to sound? Just think about it. You know, so now I don't have to go into this and like, well, let me go find a reverb and try to fucking make a false room. It's like, no, dude, let's just have a real room. You know, like that it's you know how easy that would be? Put a cab in a room, mic it up with two mics, three mics, four mics, however many you want, and then let's put a couple of mics down there on the other end of this building. Like, like <laughs> you did it. You did it right there. Like, cool. I could sit here and dial and program drums forever. And all of these samples, they sound incredible. And yeah, 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 yeah. But if you put a drum set in a room and mic it up, it's never going to sound like program drums are never going to sound like that. They just, they, they cannot, they can't. This is the real, this is the real deal. And it's somebody hitting a kick in a room with all these mics that just took it all in. And it's like the sampling world, yeah, it still is that, but it's not that. And I, I can never really find the words to explain how that is, but that is just the truth. It just isn't. All these guitar modelers, dude, I run modelers today because they sound great. But when I turn on my amp and run through my cab, there's there is no denying that. Like, but I mean, I'm not ever going to say they don't sound great because I do use them, but it's not that, you know, again, that always going back to the organic side of it all. And I, I love that and miss that more than anything. Like if I could just have it like that all the time, like, dude, I, my drummer, Josh Miller is insane, insane. And uh, he hasn't tracked drums on any of our projects. And it's like, can you, do you even understand how much that sucks 
to have the sickest drummer sitting there like this. Well, what's the reason for that? Because it's there's either there's either no budget to get into a place to track live drums, edit live drums, and then fly them back in, or ooh, there's just no, there's no time to get into a place. Uh, you know, there was no availability to get into the place. You know, it's never anything on on his behalf. Like he's just ready. Like, well, I'll, I- but it's not you guys because or Frankie being like, I like the sound of program drums. Because there's always the people who prefer the program drums. No, it was definitely never us being like we just prefer this. It, it the the last time it ended up being, well, these sound fine. <laughs> you know, though it wasn't yeah. like we prefer this. It was just like, you know, well, this sounds pretty good. Which it did. It was like, dude, this this is insane. Like it sounds great, but I guess you know it just kind of depends. Like when you want to know, like a, a great example is let's talk about Norma Jean's first record. That record sounds like they were all in the same room and they used like twenty five SM seven mics and just clipped them all. And it's just like brutal, just brutal. It's not like it sounds like sonically pleasing or something, you know. No, it sounded insane. It was brutal, you know, but it's like if you were to take that and program that, it would have never sounded like that, you know? So it's kind of like, what are you trying to achieve? And that goes into what was the vision here. And if the vision is changing somewhere near the end, well, all hope is lost for that vision, you know? So it's like you got to find – somebody who's on the same page with you the whole way, like, you know, from the, from the start to the finish. And like, we weren't, we have never tried to do anything like that. And I'm, I might be by myself in that. <laughs> like, I, that's just what I want. I want, yeah. I want that sound. Cause dude, I know it's going to be monstrous. If we were just able to do anything, just even if it was like an EP like that, just to do it, like <laughs> it's going to sound ridiculous. You know, I'm sure it would, man. I yeah, everybody has these uh, different styles of what they want to do. Uh, you know, I read um, Bobby Rock's book, who's actually like the touring drummer for Lita Ford and a bunch of other people. He was in Vinnie Vincent Invasion, and the tracking for the drums on the Vinnie Vincent Invasion album sound like the most insane thing ever because he talks about that Vinnie Vincent, who I don't know if you did the original, well, one of the guitarists from Kiss after Ace Freely, uh, he basically wanted a drum machine. He, or he wanted, the, you know, a primitive program drums at the time uh, in the 80s. And the label wanted real drums. And Bobby Rock is like an amazing drummer. But he had it so in his head that he wanted program drums that he basically would record Bobby Rock and then play a click track under him after it was done. And if it wasn't exactly on time with the click track, he'd be like, you got to record this again. And this is at the time of like tapes. Where and he wanted everything to be so precise that he was like, you know, they're making us use a real drummer, but I want it to sound like program drums, right? Which is so crazy, you know. But I, I'll be honest, maybe it's because I'm not as musical as you guys. I never knew that the drums were programmed on the last two albums. Most people don't know that. Yeah, <clears throat> because something that some people also may not know is I was a drummer first. So, um, I did not know. Yeah. So basically everything starts from, (laughs) for me, it all starts from a drummer perspective and it's like, I like to have things be locked. I don't necessarily need to be a show off. You know, it's like, I want 
everything to stand tall, not just the drums, just the guitar, just the vocals, just the bass. I want everything to be up there. So basically, I, I like to make things speak in unison. You know, like you'll notice like a lot of the stuff I do, there's a lot of unison things happening. And um, I guess like I could say easiest way to break it down would be like take uh, man, there's so many different ways I wrote this. It's like just have it so everybody gets to be the the biggest part of it all. You know, like one thing you don't ever hear me do is leads. Like when I was in dance, I had to play like a lot of lead type of licks, you know, and stuff like that. But lead guitar has never been my thing. Like never, ever, ever. And so I like to riff. And it's like if I can have riffing communicating between like multiple instruments, dude, that just seems like the ultimate. You know, when everybody is just <laughs> just rowing this machine, you know, and there's not like somebody up front like, I'll stand here while you row. <laughs> Everybody's like got these oars and paddles and we're just, just trudging, you know. It's like that's where that's where I want everything to be at. And it's like I know you to get dynamic with things, you gotta let things breathe. But when I let things breathe, it's like everything goes like this, right? And then I like to let things go like this. You know, so it's like, you know, it just it just moves organically, like in a movie. It goes like this, then it goes like this, then it goes like this, then it goes like that. <laughs> like, but yeah, everything is communicating with everything, and that's really like monumental for me. You know, where it's like I don't really think like a guitar player. You know, I, I like to think of it as like an orchestral thing. And like the same way that I use my guitars, like I, I generally I'm using nine strings a lot of the time now. And I like to treat a guitar like that because to me, that means that this instrument has nine voices. Okay. So rather than taking it and tuning it like a normal or I, I guess normal guitar player would, you know, they have their tunings, like whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, cause I don't tune in that. I tune in, I just make up my own tunings. Like, cause I don't, Care. And I do whatever I think sounds like I'm going for. And the the funkiest thing about this tuning is that I have two strings that are tuned in the same note, but one of them is tuned slightly sharp, just slightly enough that when it hits, imagine it being two people playing the same <laughs> note, right? Chances are they're never going to hit that note 100% perfectly with each other. So when they do that and they're not hitting it together, it starts going like this and it becomes like a natural chorusing type of a thing. So now any since I have this sitting in this tuning, when I play this chord and it hits those two notes and they're latched together, it automatically creates this bigger thing happening in there on that note, which then makes that note shine hard. You know, it's so cool, man. It's, you have such a unique style to what you do, and now that you're describing <laughs> it, it explains it's, why it's just no one else is doing what you're doing. It's just weird, that's all it is. But it was, <laughs> it's just thinking about it like that, where it's like your bass register now, you have your bass register carry the melody, it's more like a droning thing, 
you know, so it's like I have like a oh happening here. And then you have all these other things doing whatever they're doing, playing these like walking melodies and stuff. And now it's like this is still very orchestral when you really break it down. But now let's take it to the next level. And now we're going to become percussive with it and still trying to latch these notes, but still trying to have these walking melodies, but still have these droning undertones. And then once that's all done, now we get to th- it's like start venturing into the world of like a lead melody, not like a shred melody, but just a lead, something that sings a whole other part to this whole part already. And then we get to have vocals. It's just like, just level all of this stuff, dude. And it's like, that is just so much fun to be able to write in such a, I think it's probably a rather unorthodox method because I, you can't, you couldn't really pick up any of my guitars and play whatever because they're not tuned properly to do that, you know. So, and on one hand, it kind of forces you to do your own thing, but on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, shit, now I can't play Stairway to Heaven, <laughs> like you know, because you can't. <laughs> if, if you did, you'd have to be like tapping things that you should not be having to tap because this note is not here because these two strings are literally tuned in the same note. No, now I have to figure out how to get to this note. Like just all these weird things about it. So, but it, it makes it, it makes it, again, it makes it a challenge or it's like, what can I do with this? You know? So that's really how I try to go about everything. There's no limitations. You know, it's just kind of like, what can you do with it? You know, can you make something cool with it? Oh yeah. Show me. You know, that's awesome. That's that's what I that's what I really like to go for. Just jumping in here, I hope you guys are enjoying this conversation I had with the great Joshua Travis. I nerded it out a little bit. Uh, we went into all different types of uh, territory, as you hear, and I think it was just a very free flowing conversation. Uh, with that, though, there are people that keep us going every week and allow us to do what we do. So it really means a lot that you guys check them out and support. We don't do Patreon. We don't do any of that stuff. So all that we ask is that you support our sponsors. And our sponsor for this show, just like almost every other show, is Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you're going to receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online. So go right now to fortscottmunitions.com and use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to our listeners, Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and us right here, the Battleline Podcast. And I should mention, yeah, Chris is currently doing a Battleline Tactical course, but he'll be back next episode. Uh, with that, let's get right back to the one and only Joshua Travis.
So I'm wondering, are you guys thinking of doing any of these live streamed concerts or anything like that? Have you thought of, you know, because it's weird with you guys being away, you were on the road constantly. And yeah. I think and you could t- tell me um, if I'm correct. I think you guys were on like a little bit of a break from touring for a while. And I mean, when's the last time you even played a show? I think that it has been roughly a year, maybe. Is that the longest you've gone in your musical career, not playing a show? No, no, it is not. The the longest I have gone would have been between uh, Glass Cloud and entering a mirror. That's that would have been the longest, and I'm pretty sure that was years of mm-hmm. no shows. But it was it was in a weird spot, like where Glass Cloud had stopped was when I had just written the next full length record that never came out. And it was just a, a fucker of a record. It was the darkest, heaviest stuff I had probably, I had probably ever written. And um, so there was like this, this drive, you know, that was happening all, all, during all this time. And then Frankie hits me up and we talk, he flies out, we start writing. And then it was just kind of like, once we had, the record basically ready to go then it was like all right we need to find like a full band and we need to start hitting the road so then we had to learn all of like a, a lot of older you know amir stuff to tour on and uh <laughs> then you fast forward and it was like okay we've toured on look at yourself for years now so like maybe it's time to go you know hit the can and get back in the studio so that was what we did and then it was like okay the record's done so we were, you know, getting ready to go out and start promoting it. And then it was like, no, you're not. <laughs> so that was how this whole thing broke down. So, and, you know, there's no telling how long this record's going to be out and if we will be able to support it in a, I guess, proper time frame, you know. Or- but that's what I'm wondering. Would you ever do the live stream thing if, you know, it's another year like this? Or I, I mean, I won't say that we won't do it. But there's like costs that are going to go into that where it's like right now we are a band that is making nothing, you know, so we would have to get everybody together for one. We'd have to rehearse whatever all the material is it's good that is going to happen. We have to have engineers, you know, we have to find a place, rent the place. Because you want it to sound good. Yeah, of, yeah, course. of course. You know, you know, we would want to put out something that was lackluster, you know. So it's kind of like if if it was if the opportunity was there and it made sense, I'm sure we would do it. But it's like you know, it's like pulling a nothing. You know, like there's really no way for us to uh, afford to do that. You know, so it's like you know, we'll I'll do things just like making playthroughs of stuff. Like I basically made playthroughs of the entire new record. You know, so it's like here's this if you want to check it out. Yeah, and that's on your Patreon, right? Is that where people check that out? Yeah. So we made that. You could, you could throw the plug out there of where people could find that. Or... I don't even know what it is. I've never even seen it. <laughs> All I do is make the kind I think, of... I think if you just look up a mirror on Patreon, I think it's there, yeah. I, think, I believe. So that's what I do. I just make as much content as possible to try to stay productive, you know? And so all that stuff is up there. I think they, I don't think it's all there right now. I think they release it every whatever duration of time I, I don't know what it is like i just say i got another one for you put it up to yeah you ready you know <laughs> i i mean people right now like the live streams are cool and there's been some that have more production going into them than others i can't say it's something i've completely followed i'll be honest i've not paid for a live stream i mean i've seen like there's been a bunch of bands who have done paid live streams 
Uh, but I do think there is just a need for concerts right now, especially with everything going on in the world. I mean, yeah. I think we are just tied to the news and to social media all day, and we are just finding ways to be as divisive as possible. And when you go to a show like yours or any show that, you know, you guys listening are a fan of, like, you don't really care about the politics of the guy next to you or who they're voting for. And yeah, we do kind of need that. And I'm not telling people to like put their head in the sands and sand and not be aware of what's going on and not stand for what they believe in. Like all of that is perfectly important, but there has to be some type of balance because mm -hmm. I just think right, right now it's all we're focused on. It's actually why I'm like really glad to do a podcast with Chris where it's not something we focus on because it's everywhere you go. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks they're in the right too. You know, no one thinks they're fighting for the wrong cause. And right. I mean, we say it all the time. Like, uh, these fellow Americans are like not your enemy just because they don't stand for exactly what you stand for. But, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're tied to your phone 24 seven or watching the news 24 seven, um, you know, it's going to start to get in your head. Of, yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, and I, I, there's just no, even when you go out right now, there's just none of that same social uh, camaraderie, you know, like I, the, the one place I've been going is I go to the gym. I do see people that I know that I've hung out with, but, uh, like, for example, this is weird, but like the sauna is not open and the sauna is like the one place where I would see people work out and they would have heated discussions about whatever the fuck was going on in the world. But at the end of the day, everybody was cool, man. And I, it never got to the point of like physical violence. It was like, well, you could stand for whatever. And, and it was a very diverse environment, the gym that I was in, because it was like NYPD officers from all different, you know, racial backgrounds. And then there'd be other people in there that are, you know, very hard left on things. And, but there was like a mutual respect. And I really think because we don't have that like real life interaction and it's very easy to be an asshole on a computer and say, like, go fuck yourself. I hope you die. There's um, <laughs> there like there's that mutual respect. Mm -hmm. is gone. We need yeah. to get back to like something that brings us together, whether it's concerts, whether it's uh, sports, something. Right. And I, you know, I 1000 percent agree with you. I just I get why that's not really a thing right now. I do get it because it's dangerous. Yeah, it is. So that's the thing. There's no, and because I'm not defending, I'm not like, we need to open up immediately. I'm not right. saying that either, but it, there is definitely a huge mental health, uh, you know, aspect to what's going on right now. This yeah. is not how we're supposed to be. We're, we're not supposed to be tied to our phones. And I know it gives people an outlet like these social media sites, but all of it, I, I've certainly realized, I think everybody knows, I've talked about it on the show. I mean, it's all designed to be addictive. And I've talked about it with Frankie, like, Dude, this thing is is everything. This is our communication to the outside world. This is like if I need a girl to hook up with, you need to go on some app and swipe right. Like that's not the way we were created to be, man. It's it's yeah, that's the shift, man. That's the shift. The same thing that music did. It's the shift, and it's like I don't know if I'll say def that it's definitely by a generation or something, but that's just what it does. It it hits, and then it shifts and then it hits and then it shifts you know and it's like it happens with with everything you do it all the way down to food do you remember when the word vegan was not even a thing of course and i, and I also remember I, I don't know if you were in the same camp you know since you're actually slightly older you might be even more so but like I went to McDonald's and Burger King like pretty much every day. And I don't even think our parents, I said this last episode, I don't even think our parents were aware it was that bad. Right. 
<laughs> it's that's like 100% what it is, dude. It's just like it's the shift and it just does it. It's like the way that things Is it good though? Like I feel like we're on some level more knowledgeable than ever, but then there's also more disinformation than ever. Yeah, it's it's all I, I think it's always going to be like hand in hand, you know, when something something else comes out that seems like it's super sick but you don't know anything about it you know and some people it just takes on some people latch on to it some people are 1000 percent against it and that's i think it's always going to be like that with no matter what it is but i don't think that it's necessarily bad at all like i mean i think if we learn things from it that i don't know how that can ever be bad you know it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that either, but I think the process of learning is always good. You know, like the, the more, you know, you know, it's just food for thought, you know? Yeah. I just, I, you know what it is? I think the pendulum needs to like have some balance at this point, man, because I, you know, I try actively try not to be a guy who wakes up and looks immediately at my phone and sees everything going wrong in the world I've tried, and I, I can't say I do this every day, but I try to often like get up, go for a walk around the block, just take in nature, take in the birds and, you know, the sounds and the sights before I open up like the chaos of what's going on to the world. Because it's like, it's day and night. And it's, yeah. I, I uh, you know, when I was living at my apartment, I didn't have a TV in my room for that specific purpose. Like I, I don't want to, you know, go to sleep hearing the news of what's going on, wake up hearing the news of what's going on. Like there's, there's a bigger world to this that we're put here to be a part of, man. There's uh, it, it, people are very disconnected from nature and from their fellow man. And it's, I don't think that is good. I'm very disconnected the other way around where all the things in the news, I don't even have a source to the news unless it's like, there's some, something on my phone. I don't know if it'll be there now. But there's like something on here. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's just called news. Yeah, on, on the iPhone. Yeah. So that is about the only source that I'm ever going to get. Unless like, you know, my parents tell me something like my mom is super connected. So she always tells me everything that she's seeing. But like, I don't have like cable or whatever and like your normal channels so i never see anything never yeah i didn't until i was uh you know i'm back here but at my apartment i didn't um yeah i think that's the better way to be i mean chris and i you know because chris could talk about it if he was on the show but uh, chris's background i mean you guys listening know but was involved in the attack on benghazi and like from that he was constantly in the news and he says it on the show like he was used to push like a certain political agenda and he's like i have my point of view but he's like, it made me a very angry person. He's like, it was all that I, you know, it was constantly like put on Fox News, put to be, you know, oh, yeah. speak in front of this group. And, and yeah, at a certain point, he's, he actually deleted his Twitter, even with like, I think hundreds of thousands of followers. And was just like, I, this is not good for me. I need to get away from this. And, you know, he's still doing the podcast with me, of course. He's still doing his tactical courses, but he's like, yeah, I feel a lot happier for spending time with my wife, spending time with my kids. Yeah. Like, it's where most of us should be. Mm-hmm. I definitely can understand that. Like I, I have all the social media stuff, but I'm not very active on really any of it. You know, like I'll I'll post things every now and then to like promote this, like if it if it needs it or whatever. But 
other than that, I don't really have like a very big social presence, you know, which some people would say that's not smart for somebody that does what I do. So, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I- Wait, but you're, you know, your mental health, I think comes before all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would agree. I don't generally get into shit with anybody about anything. Like, dude, I, I don't care. Like what, whatever it is you want to argue about, you can speak to your blue in the face. I, I don't care, you know, but that, I guess it's just a choice that I made, you know, or it's like, uh, I, I believe in, uh, you got to focus your energy, you know, and like what, what it is you're really trying to put into, yes, you know, things like that where, and, and that is all, it's so true, man, that you say, cause I'm connecting with what you're saying. It It's all so energy draining. And when I see these people who that's their life, it's like, if you took that energy <laughs> and spent it on doing what you do or doing what any of us are, you know, do that's a passion man, like you'd be so much further ahead. All of that stuff is complete time wasters and energy draining. And yeah, people are always like, I get asked all the time, oh, I want to start a podcast. How do I do this? And, but I've met people for like a year or two years. They're telling me they want to start this idea and they never get it off the ground. Like yeah. at a certain point, you just got to go for it, man. And stop, stop spending so much time on all this other stuff. Right. But yeah, I see it all the time. And I, I have so many friends, and I'm sure you do too, because all of us do, um, at jobs that they're completely miserable with. And you know, I, I you, there's only so much you could tell someone if they don't have the drive to do something new with their life. But I just couldn't imagine being stuck doing something every day, day in, day out, that I absolutely hate. I've been there temporarily in life, but I'll always try to find a way to get out of there. Did, um, you know what's funny about that? I think one thing that, people will go back to is the job, their job, you know, being stuck at whatever it is like people call it the nine to five or something like that. And like, I think maybe it's, maybe it's just me and being older now. Like, I think that it's just how you look at it, you know? And it's like, what are you doing that job for? You know, not really so much. I hate this. I mean, dude, you want me to be honest with you? I've never really been big about touring. Like never, like I've never been a person that's like, I want to see the entire fucking world. Like I never said that. I never once ever said that it never happened, but there, I believe that in a lot of jobs, there's things about it that just come with the job, you know, and there's things that you have to do. And for me, that started off that that was what touring was. It was just something that comes with the job. And I, but you like performing, I assume. I do. I do like performing. My favorite part about all of this is creating, not performing and not touring. Like creating it is what it's all about. Like, because without that, there is none of that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, that's always been like the strongest, the strongest part of it all is like making this thing live and breathe, you know, where it's like, I'm looking at this blank canvas and then the next thing you know, it is look at yourself, you know, that whole operation was just like, damn, this was nothing, you know? And it's like, it's so easy to do something like that and just like, Oh yeah, whatever. It's just made a record. It's like, okay, yeah, that is what you did, but you need to rewind the tape and go back to this. Cause this started at a dot, you know, when it was nothing and you just made that, you know, did that whole process is like there's, there's just not even words to describe that. It's when you, 
seriously like take a step back from that and look at it, hold it in your hands. Like, damn, all right, we did this. And now it turns into, now you got to go reproduce that. That's not, that doesn't worry me at all. Like I, I wrote it. Of course I can reproduce it, but it's, there's, it's like a, that's a, that's a whole other side of this. You know, where it was like I was sitting in a chair or standing over there to try to be away from these mics so they don't hear me playing as well as hearing the tone or whatever the case may be. It turned into that has nothing to do with this. Now you need to go here on that stage with all these people now and you need to make that shit sound like this. You know, and and then it was like, okay, now I just get to look at that as a challenge. Like, can I do this? Yes. Okay, we can do this. Now, can you do it every single day in a different <laughs> state under completely new conditions, new environments, new people, new crews, like new <laughs> new people at your shows? Some of these people may fucking hate you. You know, like you never know. Yeah, if you're on a festival, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and you know, things are going to go wrong. Things are going to break. Dude, I break a lot of shit. I don't, I don't mean to sometimes, but- it happens and it's like, there it comes, challenge, fix it. You know, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to have a tech with me that that spots things before I do. And those those people are forever my 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 like guardian angels. Like when they can spot a problem before I do, oh man, like I love that. Most of the time it would seem like it was like me looking over like you're like something is wrong and you know when i have like a tech over there on ears and he can hear it's happening and when i go to look at him he's already back behind my rig trying to figure out what's going on like those are like the guardian angels and it's like but those create these other levels of stress that are just like oh i hate this so much all i want to do is just rip the stage and have everybody out here like having fun like we're we're having fun together you know and it's so it was it was it took me a while before i was like okay touring is sick you know it definitely that's cool man and i'm glad you said that because so much of what we talk about on the on the podcast is navigating through challenges you know finding the silver lining and that's exactly what you're talking about that's so cool to hear uh, I think yeah, you know what? And and since you're being brutally honest here, I I have to ask this because this is a question I always think of. And and you know you're you're being very real here, and I think a lot of people will give you the politically correct answer on this. Um, whenever I see live bands, you know that constantly are playing. You know, you how many times have you played? Uh, I'm just trying to think of like one of the the big songs on well, the first song on uh, Speaker of the Dead, for example. What's uh, I'm forgetting names of everything here. Is that what that is? Yeah, Children of Cybertruck. So, like, I always think when I see Metallica, right, like in my head, I'm like, could they possibly still enjoy playing Enter Sandman? Like, does this still turn them on? It's a new audience that they're playing this in front of. Because, like, it, or is it like for me, like eating cereal in the morning or something? Because <laughs> they've done it a million times. Like, so are, is there a, are there songs where you're just like, this does nothing for me anymore? Do you do you uh, still enjoy connecting with the audience here, playing it? Here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. Because yes, I know exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. And um, I think the points when we're saying to each other, dude, I really don't want to fucking play this again. We are not playing it at that time. We're standing, we're, we're in the green room or whatever. Like, what are we seriously playing tonight? And it's like, God, I don't want to play this. And then you get on stage because you said, all right, fine, fuck it. We're going to play it. And you get on stage and you start playing it. And it's like, all right, never mind. This is sick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> generally, it's like 
you just get tired of playing the same shit. Yes, yeah, you do. You do. Until you're playing it. Like, I think that's really what happens. Like, I don't, I don't, I would never really get on a stage and start playing a song and be like, this is literally the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Like, this is, <laughs> there's too much, there's too much energy in the room, you know, where it's like, especially if it's a song that people like, you know, just seeing them being into it puts you into it. You know, like, even if, like, yeah, dude, with Children of Cybertron, dude, I don't know if I've done a tour in a mirror that we have not played that on. I don't know. But it's such a perfect song. <laughs> like when you hear that song, you know what you are in the zone. Like, yeah, right. it's such a great opening song. Right. And so it's like, even if I'll probably play a little bit of it under of us, under <laughs> us, by the way, when I do the post. But it's- for the audience who doesn't know these songs, like even just because I know some of the audience, you know, they're they're not in this stuff as heavy as what you do. Yeah. But just those opening riffs, it's like I, I don't know how you can't get Right, right. Like if you like heavy stuff, there's it's not likely that you won't like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, it, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about, and like, there are some songs where I really did feel like that. But it's ah man, I guess for me personally, even if it's something that I really am like, I'm kind of overplaying this song. Like I don't, I don't really care to play it on this tour or whatever the case may be. All these people that are there, whether there was three or three million, like they paid to come see you. So whether I want to play this or not, I'm going to put on something for you. Like I'm going to try to give you something, you know, worth what you have done to be here. You know, so you get to you get I guess when when you get on stage, all that shit is gone. Yeah, I get that. You know, it's not I get that anymore. I, I mean, I've. I've never done what you do, you know, but I've done this, for example, for so many years. And there have been times where it was really dark periods in my life and no one would know it because I sound like I'm excited every day Mm -hmm. to get on mic because I don't do a show that's like Howard Stern, where if he's miserable, he's going to tell you he's miserable. And he's very, you know, I want people to, you know, just be in the zone, enjoying whatever I'm talking about, feel inspired, even if I'm not feeling inspired at the right. Um, right, right. So, no, I, I do get that. You know what? One last last thing i have to ask you there's always like some type of military connection with what we do because of chris's background and people we have on and the one military connection i could think of in your career is danza four right hold the line which was dedicated to service members how, how did that come about we would like to take a minute to thank our family friends and all men and women serving in the united states armed forces this song goes out to you uh jesse was uh always like uh from a, a, mili- a military family and um he's like very into that i mean i don't know if you know kept up with jesse at all like throughout the years but like he's an officer now and uh like if i'm not mistaken he's on swat like he's like you know pretty uh pretty heavy in this stuff and um like that song i don't exactly remember like how or when that was what it turned into like i mean like we would always pre-pro stuff but for that one i don't really recall when it it may have been in the studio when we were doing the track but once it became that it was uh it just got heavier and heavier deeper and deeper and you know into all of the clips and the stuff that i put in the track like towards the end of it and like that was that definitely struck people in certain ways, you know, um, not always good ones either. 
I have determined that it is in our vital national interest to send an additional 30,000 U.S. troops to Afghanistan. After 18 months, our troops will begin to come home. Watch out, watch out, let me get a shot. What? Hey, he's in the garage! Just it's a very personal thing, you know, and I was trying to give him what he was looking for, you know, and then once it started, you know, really fleshing out like what the track was and it came down to the end of the song, it was just like we have to close this out. We have to close this out properly. And then, dude, that ending is heavy, dude. Like, that's a very, uh, very, very serious thing. And it's like, it's easy to not understand, you know, what, what they go through, you know, not at all. And just hearing that kind of audio was just like chilling, you know. And like some people, they may listen to it and they're like, ah, whatever. What, this, this is just whatever. And it's like, actually, no, that's not whatever. That's like that's real. That's not like some scripted movie or whatever. Like that's real audio from real shit happening. You know, like when dude says, you know, keep shooting, keep shooting. It's like, holy fuck. Like that's like, that's very, very real. And like, it just, it just made sense. I was like, what? I feel like that was what it needed to be. It just, it did. I mean, it, it, it was what it was supposed to be. And that's where I was really trying to take that, you know, from that whole thing. And Jesse's performance on it was, like, much different than a lot of the other tracks. Like, he had, like, different uh, emotional takes in it, you know, rather than just, like, I'm screaming and pummeling your face. This one was, like, <laughs> one was like gut-wrenching screams, you know, not, like, the same normal ones. Like, there was just a lot more in that track. There was a lot more. And a lot of those peaks and valleys and like if you are not afraid to, you know, be open to the emotions, that's a heavy track. You know? Yeah. Have have you ever had military service members say to you, you know, like, hey, your music helped me on the deployment or anything like that? Absolutely. Oh yeah. And I don't dude, I don't ever know what to say to them. Is this just like, dude, that's like the least I could do. What do you mean? Like, where are you right now? You know, like that's that's what I want to say. Like, don't thank me, thank you. You know, like, no, what? Who the fuck am I? Like, I'm I'm just here. Have I have this for you? I have this. You know, like, dude, that's it's invaluable. Like, there's no there's no words. But I, yes, I've had that numerous times, and every time it's just like, wow, man, wow. And like thinking, like, this is literally the shit that they turn on when shit's about to hit the fan. It's just like, I don't even have words for that. It makes your stomach feel weird. It's just like, damn, dude, this is like, like literal life and death situations here. You know, and when you think like something that you have done or been a part of has gone all the way to that level is like, uh, what? You know, like, it's just crazy, man. It's crazy. It's very crazy. Yeah. I, no, I, it's well said, man, and I, I could kind of understand it, too, because I'm from the same background as you, as in I have no background in that world, but I happened to meet a lot of guys from that background, which, like, led me to this point, and right. people have said, hey, I've listened to podcasts that you've done, you know, and 
you, like some people were like, you inspired me to like enlist. And I'm like, well, I haven't done anything. I just right. talk to a radio and I don't encourage anybody to do anything unless it's, you know, what they want to do. If this is what you want to do with your life, then, then cool, go for it. You know, but I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't encourage anybody to put their life on the line and do something that I wasn't able to do my, you know, or I wasn't even thinking to do, to be honest. Yeah. Like this was my world it was, it was radio, but if that's what people are inspired to do, then that's awesome. But I'm, yeah, I'm from the same world as you where it's, yeah, I, I, I don't understand it because I haven't done what they've done, but right. Yeah. Do you remember, um, in, <laughs> in Fahrenheit nine 11, when they were playing, um, the bloodhound gang and bloodhound gang issued a statement that when they were asked about it, they, <laughs> it was, I always remember this is that Jimmy pop from bloodhound gang, was like, hey, well, if something is going to be the soundtrack to war, he's like, thank God it's Bloodhound Gang and not Creed or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, man. It's just such a crazy thing, dude. It is just, yeah. you think about it, it's just, it's crazy. Oh, you know, so one last thing before we head out that I, I should mention, I haven't spoken to him in a while, but I have to tell you, um, you've de- I know you've definitely been on with him, uh, Sean the Butcher from Sirius XM Liquid Metal. I uh, I I, th- I know that we've met, but I don't know if I've actually done like a thing with him. I don't I I'm, I can't really remember. Because I could tell you, man, if you ever listen to Liquid Metal, like I haven't seen him in a while, but since I used to work there and I've hung out with him since, but it's been a long time. You are like you it, just know when you listen to Liquid Metal, you are legit his favorite guitarist. Like he will <laughs> tell me that, no bullshit. So if he says it to you, it's not like he's kissing your ass. He'll, like I'll bring up Eddie Van Halen, and he'll be like, "With Joshua Travis." <laughs> now that is sick. I cannot say I, I. I mean, dude, when when any when anybody just like randomly hits me up and they're like, you know, you've been like very. Uh, very key in a lot of the things that I'm doing and very inspirational for somebody like me. That is just, I don't know what the fuck I'm even doing, man. I'm just going by the, I'm just flying by the handles here, man. Like whatever it is, is whatever it is. And like when people, you know, reach out to me and they tell me these things, it's just like, what <laughs> are you being for real right now? Are you fucking with me? Like you, <laughs> you never really tell. And it's like, I know like so many so many like guitar i'm gonna call them gurus because these players are like <sighs> stupid good stupid good i am not one of those players here's the thing there's a difference between being humble and being honest and i am honest like if i was this shit bro i'll tell you i'm <laughs> what do you want from me like this this is just what i do i live and breathe i'm the shit fuck off i'm just being honest like when these people put me in these categories with these players that are just fucking absurd, I'm sitting here like, what, what are you talking about? Are you listening to what these people are doing on the, I'm like, I won't even let them play my guitars. No, no, don't touch it. No, you're not about to sit here and fucking on my shit. No, no, go play your own. Guitar. You know, it's like, so, uh, fuck i don't know man it's just like it's like even beyond overwhelming i don't even know how to how to feel it's just like are they must think i'm somebody else 
And it's like, this- I, I feel like shredding, you know, guitar, you know, in the forefront though, is making a comeback. Oh, it, I have to say oh, it, with that band, um, era, right? Yeah. Like that dude, I'm like, holy shit. It's, it's cool to see it coming back because there was a time. And I mean, I could really think of the, the one that pinpoints it for me is you, if you ever saw some kind of uh, monster, the Metallica documentary, um, where, as we all know, on St. Anger, there's no solos. And Kirk Hammett says, like, that's kind of bullshit, man. Why are we pinpointing it to this time where it's not cool to have a solo? And it it does show you at that time in the mid-2000s, it wasn't cool to have a guitar solo, so much so that Metallica, who was like, you know, a lot of people would say one of the all-time great shredders, like, didn't even have a solo on that album. I pers- I know you're not, that's not what you do, but I think it's cool to see that coming back. Yeah. Oh, no, I love it. It just is like, it's cool to see so many good players. Like, it's really cool. Because I know that for a long time there, it was kind of like, all these fuckers suck. Like, what are you <laughs> doing? Like, stop it. And then it was just kind of like, again, like I said before, the shift. And then the shift. And it's like, it was maximum. Like, for me, the 90s. 90s, like rule metal period like that was just the heaviest shit on earth it was in the 90s for sure why i don't know but everybody was really mad and really angry and it showed in the material it did and then you know you start fast forwarding again in the early 2000s and then things started getting a little more locked in production started becoming a way bigger deal and then videos we started getting real big again and then it was kind of like a shift and then it was like hip-hop really just took over everything you know and then another shift happens bands start taking on these hip-hop elements a little more and then you know it's just you know so on and so forth and then it's just kind of like i don't know within like the last three three to five years it's just been like shredders. There's like a few of them. And then there's like, they just started scattering all over the place. And now like, we, I just did this thing that with uh, Jared Dines. He did a, a uh, gent 2020 thing, which is really funny. And dude, had I known that there was going to be like basically 15 shredders on here, I probably <laughs> would have been like, no, nah, I'm good. But that's what it was. He didn't tell me anything about anything. He just said, I'm doing a gent thing. And do you want to be on it? I was like, sure. And I did it. And my riff was fairly simple. You know, it's just playing, playing with a meter, you know, and just moving around it a little bit. And I see he puts out this video and the freaking beginning of this thing is Jason fucking Richardson (laughs) playing. And I'm like, Please tell me you did not put my video in this at all. <laughs> oh my god! And then there's it. That's how it started. And then it was just like player after player after player after player. And I'm sitting here like, oh my god! <laughs> like it was just so insane, you know. So that is just it's so sick to see that that there are so many shredders out there that are like doing it, like for real doing it. Like, I love that because, I mean, like I said, there was like a really long time where it was just kind of like, what is going on here? And it's like, it's really sick seeing that there are players out there that are just ridiculous. Like, I love I love that kind of stuff. I love just watching someone and it's like 
damn, you're so sick. Like, I love that. That's just so cool. Somebody that takes, just, just puts forth so much into their craft that it's like, you are undeniably great. Like, who doesn't love to see that? I, I love it. I love it. Especially, like, with being a, guitar, a guitarist, it's, like, so cool to see people that are just so disgusting. Like, I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, I agree, man. And you, you totally have your own unique style. Uh, we'll wrap things up here. I mean, we've gone nearly two hours. I, I really appreciate the time. It flew by. We went into all different territory. I, I love when we have these things where we have no real agenda and we get into yeah. just all different stuff and just a, you know, a genuine uh, discussion. I think that's what it's all about. So follow at the Joshua Travis on Instagram and Twitter at Amir Music on Twitter, Adam Your Colts on Instagram. Anything else? And of course, yeah, the new the new tracks with Andy Sizek, C I Z E K. Uh, but if you just look up Joshua Travis, I think it should come right up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't buy physical copies of that, right? Or it's just on no, streaming. It's just all digital. Like, like I said, I wasn't ever trying to like, you know, like this is my record. Like, this is never. You know, what? buy it. I, I'll still pay for the audience. Buy it on Amazon or Apple because. As we all know, streaming, you're getting what a fraction of, the, of a penny there. Like, yeah. if you like the song, point one two three seven seven six four eight nine of a cent. Yeah, <laughs> insane. It's, it's ridiculous, man. Especially with the touring situation, something yeah. needs to change. Yeah. Um. But and anything else you and and I should also mention, hindsight is available now. And your hindsight, great album. It's. I mean, it is a very to the point album. Every song is about two minutes long, and it gets right into it. Um, I love it, man. I love just about every song in there. It is like a perfect, if you were someone who likes heavy stuff at the gym and you know, that's where I really think of it. If you want to like set your PR to say, you know, listening to like, I've seen God, I was, which I was last night. It is just, it's brutal, man. So you guys will dig it if that's what you're into. Uh, I know this audience is so diverse. So, um, but yeah, anything else that, that you want to mention before we get out of here? This has been great. I mean, yeah, you, you really like nailed it all. Like we went through everything and just thank you for having me. It's been a great time. Not a problem, man. I've done interviews and this did not feel like one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. No, I like I said, well, I listened to your interview with Doc Coyle mm-hmm. and I thought it was very organic. I've tried to get Doc Coyle on the podcast and he like doesn't respond to my shit. I you know what it is? I don't know if people see that I work with Chris Peranto mm-hmm. and they think I'm going to like try to, uh, you know, coax them into getting super political on here. Uh-huh. And he is political. But like I. What we do is not a, you know, doc is, I'm saying, but what we do is not um, like a debate show. I, you know, I'll have people come on here and express whatever the points they want. But I, I mean, I think there's way too much of that right now. We've said it on the show. Every show is now like a debate show and, you know, just getting heated. I'd much rather have a discussion with people, whether I agree with them or not. I think that's right. where it's at. You yeah, know? I agree. And Doc's awesome, man. It was, it was, it was very much the same way like with him it, it's, it's not like an interview when we're just talking you know it's yeah. but you you have like a special way about yourself like you're, you're <laughs> thank not, you man not like most interviewers you know like you make things feel like oh we've been doing this forever <laughs> <laughs> you know but it, it's also you man i i could just i like people who are genuinely themselves and i think some people are afraid to be some people come on here it's happened on the show i mean people could probably listen back to certain episodes i'm not gonna say who but it's like you go listen to episodes and this person had an agenda for what they were coming on for and that was it 
they couldn't openly just be themselves. They're not comfortable in the skin that they're in. And like, that's what makes a good interview, no matter who you are. But yeah, thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it. Yes. And thank yeah. you again. Well, there you have it. Two full hours, pretty much on the dot with Joshua Travis. If you enjoyed the interview, let him know. It's at the Joshua Travis on Instagram, on Twitter. Really flew by for me. And uh, and pick up the new Amur album, Hindsight. It's great. They did an awesome job with it. As I said, it's perfect gym music. So uh, Chris will be back next episode wrapping things up. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com. Go there now, use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, only available to listeners of our podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. If you have any emails or questions for us, battlelinepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at Battleline Pod, on Instagram at Battleline Podcast. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Ian Scotto. And that about wraps things up. Uh, God bless you guys. Have a great week. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast, but we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit. Never quit.